Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Conversations with My Higher Self. My name is Maria. For those of you that don't know, for those of you that are new, welcome to our collective space. Today, we're going to be talking about the multiverse, as well as parallel realities, parallel worlds. And what does that mean? This has been requested, just for the record. This is not something that I would have purposely chosen to talk to you about because I find this topic to be quite complex, but this has been requested more than once. I also do mention the topic of the multiverse in my book, 72 Keys to Manifestation or an Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist, which is up on Amazon if you're curious. And so those of you that have read the book are curious about the multiverse, are curious to learn more about it because what is in the book is just some of the foundations around, you know, the multiverse and manifestation, but not really anything in depth. And so I figured um, today we're going to dive deep and um, talk about the complexities of the multiverse as well as, you know, some things are actually quite simple. So today it's just one of those foundational episodes. Also, for those of you that care around what the universe looks like, you may find this quite curious. Alrighty, a couple of housekeeping items. Um, if you're not following me on YouTube, there is a video stream of this uh, podcast on YouTube. It is under, this is Maria, Maria with a Y, M-A-R-I-Y-A. If you're not meditating with me on our Sacred Universe podcast, I heartily invite you to do so. We are uploading meditations every week. And, you know, if you have already been meditating with me, thank you. You are awesome. And I, I'm sure and I know you're going to see a difference in your life um, as you're building your meditation practice. Lastly, I'm also on TikTok now because why not? Uh, under This Is Maria Official. So come check, check it out as well. Let's dive into the concept of the multiverse and the concept of parallel realities. These things, like I said... And you know, not to sound repetitive and like a broken record, they are quite complicated. So even as I am going to be talking to you about those concepts, I will have to simplify. I want to give you that disclaimer because whenever we're diving into a rabbit hole like this one, I want to make sure that this is helpful to you. And the last thing I want to do is confuse you further because the mind of the great architect of the matrix is quite complex. And as we're going to talk about the multiverse, his was the mind that came up with this concept in the first place. And as an incarnated human, it is very hard sometimes to trace even the cause and effect of that thinking, let alone to comprehend the complexity that goes into the matrix that we all come to incarnate in. Maybe let's start with very broad strokes. Now, this is not the foundational episode on the matrix. I've made other episodes about the matrix and even the hermetic principles before. Hermetic principles are essentially the principles or some of the laws that guide our current version of the matrix. But again, let's just take a step back because this is a lofty topic and we're going to start simplifying it from the get-go. So you have the realm of souls, right? The realm of souls, that is where your higher self lives, so to say, although I use the word live quite, you know, it, it's probably not a very correct way of even describing uh, what's happening. Let's say exists, right? That is probably a better word in the English language. And then you have 
a number of different worlds of virtual reality systems that souls can incarnate into. Now, the current version that you guys are plugged into right now is the most dominating matrix of virtual reality of this at this point in time. When I say it's dominating, it doesn't mean it's the only one. But let us say it, it is the one from the perspective of the architect of the matrix. Who is the architect? Why is he a he? Why is he not a she? Why is he not an it? Some of those questions have, you know, uh, come up from the collective, so I will address that. So the great architect, by the way, there's not just one. The great architect is one, but it is like a title in the same way that you guys have presidents and you guys have centers. The great architect is a title that is passed on from soul to soul when that soul feels like they have completed what they're meant to complete as an architect. The architect has a lot of helpers, the great architect, who are called the architects. There are a multitude of souls that are architects working under the tutelage of the great architect. Uh, the great architect often is uh, the biggest mentor for them. The great architect is also the holder of the knowledge base. He is the one that knows how everything in the system, in the matrix is built. He is the one that built it. He is the one that has refactored it as time went by, meaning if certain patches needed to be uploaded, if certain changes needed to be made, it was often according to the design of the great architect. Now, every matrix, every virtual reality is a self-learning system. So you start from one place and then it develops as time goes by, and it's usually develops through a system of, um, shall we say, dead ends. You guys are very familiar with apps on your cell phones. So, and, and, and if, if you've ever really downloaded an app that was maybe, especially in the early days of, um, you know, apps that happened a lot, apps would crash. And, you know, generally when an app would crash, it is, you know, a bug in the system or some type of unsolvable problem or equation for the system that causes it to quit. So that used to happen, still happens within the matrix as well, because the matrix is a program a programmatic, a programmed universe. It is a universe that is defined by a set of mathematical equations and is defined with mathematical precision. As such, it operates not dissimilar to any piece of software that you may or may not be familiar with. As a piece of software, it sometimes reaches a point of no return where it would crash. And so when I say the matrix is a self-learning system, is it has an innate intelligence. And by the way, this has nothing to do with artificial intelligence. Those are very different concepts. Artificial intelligence is usually an overlay over the matrix. They're not one and the same. They're very different constructs. The matrix has a consciousness of itself. And this consciousness is meant to optimize the matrix according to a certain set of parameters defined by the architect. And so the matrix, you know, when it crashes, so to say, or when it reaches a point of no return, it freezes actually, not crashes. And that is when the great architect knows that, you know, one of or a couple of his equations don't make sense. And so the architect would make changes accordingly. Please bear with me when I use, um, you know, the pronoun he when I describe uh, the architect of the matrix. Obviously, at soul level, if you go really, really high, a soul can select a gender or choose to go without. Souls also interchange their genders all the time. They can be learning masculine qualities and feminine qualities, and they can be androgynous, you know, all of it, right? I will tell you this. The mathematical side of the universe, though, dwells very much in the intellect 
polarity of creation. And as such, it belongs to the divine masculine. As such, technically, pretty much every single architect of the matrix that I remember across maybe the last few cycles of this has been masculine. So that means that the, the soul that was given the title of the great architect was practicing and honing in on its masculine polarity, going through its masculine set of challenges, right? Which makes sense. If you want to practice femininity and you want to practice being loving and nurturing and caring, you probably wouldn't want to devote your, you know, day in and day out, so to say, your existence to building a precise mathematical system. Like your mathematical equations probably would not excite you, right? And, and such is just the the nature of polarity and, and, and the nature of like being attracted to certain things, right? Our energy actually really determines what we're being attracted to and what we are actively repelling, right? So that's that on the topic of the uh, great architect. The architect, as well as his helpers, are tasked by source to always maintain one, uh, one predominant domineering system uh, a virtual reality where souls can come to incarnate to foster their learning, to foster their um, evolution, etc., etc. This is not the only option for souls, meaning there are many ways to skin the cat. What I mean by that is, as a soul, you may choose to not even go into an incarnation in the first place. Some souls never do, and other souls have a period where they incarnate a lot, and then they have eons of, you know, where they, where they don't incarnate at all. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. It is simply a matter of preference for every soul. That's that. You also have other test virtual realities that are going through an incubation period. And usually those are much smaller in terms of magnitude there is a smaller number of equations that usually goes into creating those realities. And they exist kind of like in, in the space, in the brain of the great architect. And very often as he he's incubating a particular new virtual reality, he would invite souls to test it out. But again, this is, so essentially what I'm saying is you have guinea pigs in terms of not souls, but in terms of guinea pig worlds that are being built. Most of them are collapsed. Some of them pass through the incubation period and become a full-fledged matrix. This current version of the matrix is the fourth. Now again, what is time? And you know, what, what, like if we're counting something, where do we even begin? It is the fourth in the current cycle of creation, right? And let's just leave it there because I don't think you need any more precision beyond that. Our current version of reality, our current matrix at one point was also incubated. It was one of many that was incubated and it won uh, based on certain parameters to become the one matrix where most of the souls go to incarnate. How did it win? Essentially, they were measuring the speed of evolution and other different aspects to whether the souls were being served by, by the matrix or they weren't. And essentially this current version of the matrix won by a landslide. Um, now there is a new version of the matrix that's being uh, currently incubated, the fifth version of the matrix. And um, that one is showing signs of really good promise. So there's, you know, 
um, it's not going to be too long. Now, again, define time. It's not going to be too long before that one is also implemented. And, um, you know, in that, at some, at that point, two realities are going to run in parallel. And, you know, eventually this fourth version of the matrix is going to be sunsetted. And the fifth version of the matrix is going to become the default one. Uh, so there's always a transitionary period that is always normal. So that is, you know, we kind of narrowed our universe, right, of possibility of creation to this one matrix, which is essentially called VR4, virtual reality 4. There is the, the inspiration for the construction of the matrix and the structure of the matrix has been taken from trees, right? So essentially it's a tree structure. So it has the trunk or the main axis around which everything is built and revolves. And then you have... Um, kind of like there's like a vertical movement that is enabled within the matrix. And so again, a tree is an extremely simplified version to explain to you what's going on. But essentially the matrix, like the matrix that we live in, if you would want to imagine and elongate it, like if I were to zoom out to like a crazy degree, and because I just want to give you a visual so you guys understand what I'm talking about and so that you could follow along this fairly complex structure. So if you were to keep zooming out, into infinity, essentially. What you would see is you would see an elongated capsule. Um, this capsule looks, it's slightly elongated. It's like an oval shaped capsule and it is actually transparent. And inside there's all this activity that actually feels like electricity, like uh, electricity and uh, magnetism in one. So it's an electromagnetic system. And in the very center of this oval shaped capsule, there is an axis the central axis, which lights up like a billion light, like a billion stars, right? So essentially it is the core crux of the system. The very heart of the system is this vertical line that crosses uh, the entirety of the capsule from very bottom to the very top. There's that one common denominator, if you will, a one common ground. I know we're talking extreme macro level, but Whoever requested this episode, you guys, there's no way to explain multiverse without going to this level of, of detail. Now, this is kind of essentially all of your incarnations, not just planet Earth, not just the Milky Way, all of the galaxies that you could possibly think of, all of the zodiac you know, signs in the sky, all of the constellations, everything that you know to be true and in existence in the physicality, including the dimensions whether that is dimension, fifth dimension, third dimension, 12th dimension, doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as 12th dimension. I know it is considered that it is. Well, there is and there isn't. I shouldn't be saying there is no such thing as a 12th dimension. 12th dimension exists. It's um, just for the purposes of uh, like life. It's not a livable dimension. Um, it's 11. 11th is really the highest dimension in terms of like coming to incarnate and evolve. But that is a tangent. That's not what we're talking about today. We have enough complexity as is, if I'm being honest. Everything essentially you know to be true is contained within this virtual reality, in this particular capsule that came out of the mind of the great architect. Let's maybe tackle the concept of parallel realities first, because arguably from here, this is an easier one to understand what it actually means. So if you have this tree kind of growing inside of this capsule, right? And that tree is a central axis that connects the, like the entirety of this system, artificial system, by the way, or this virtual system, then what happens at every level of that tree, right? 
So essentially, at every level of the tree, you have slices of reality that go horizontal. And it's like almost like a layered cake. That's another good analogy that we could use. So imagine that this system, this virtual reality, was a layered cake. And this cake actually had an infinitely large number of layers. Not an infinite number of layers, an infinitely large number of layers. What do I mean by that? That the amount of layers, the number of layers is actually finite. But from the perspective of an, you know, an incarnated human, it is so incomprehensibly large that we would consider it quite infinite. Now, so you have this layered cake that is uh, essentially penetrated by, poked through this axis in the very heart, in the very center, right? And every layer of the cake is a reality in its own right. These realities are not as standalone as you would think. So they exist in clusters. So meaning, it's not like if you were to separate every single layer of the cake, it would be its own universe. It's a few layers of the cake create their own universe. And then you go up and down that tree trunk and there's going to be other layers of cake that have their own universes. Let me maybe try to give you an example. If you have ever come across Norse mythology, the Nordic mythology, the Odin, the Freya, the Loki, by the way, you know, yes, Marvel, here you go. You guys have come across the Nordic mythology. Maybe you're not in a way that, you know, I would have hoped you did. But you guys, if you watch Marvel movies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So on that note. Uh, it was believed um, in a, you know, during the times of the Nordics, and it's actually thanks to Odin that this, um, this knowledge came through, because he was an avid traveler up and down the Yggdrasil tree. The Yggdrasil tree is this mythical, quote-unquote, while not-so-mythical tree that is supposed to be the world axis, right? The world central axis. And there are, in, in the Nordic cosmology, there are nine worlds, nine parallel worlds that exist alongside the Yggdrasil tree. And so you have Midgard, which is Middle Earth. Again, also for, the fan, for, for those of you that are fans of the Lord of the Rings, that is that Middle Earth that is in the Lord of the Rings, right? Technically, we are currently where we are incarnated on planet Earth. That is the Middle Earth. That is the middle layer of this layered cake, if you will. You could go up the Yggdrasil tree and you would go into... High, more high vibrational worlds, but really it's more angelic realms. If we're, you know, if we're, again, massive overgeneralization here because nothing in the Nordic mythology really talks about the angelic worlds, but let's, okay, so they use the terminology of gods, you know, and then you have the underworld, so to say, and you could think of this as the demonic realms. Again, nothing, um, that would not be a connection to the Nordic mythology, but, you know, they had ice giants uh, downstairs, so to say, and, and a bunch of other creatures, other worlds that you could get into if you traveled down the Yggdrasil tree. Collectively, collectively, these nine worlds comprised our immediate universe, right? According to the Nordics. Now, I have to give credit where it's due. Odin spent a lot of time hanging on that tree, you know, uh, there's a story where, you know, he, yeah, he hung himself on the, uh, on the tree to get the knowledge. And that was actually him connecting to the great architect uh, at the time. Um, it was a challenge. He had to make sacrifices. But what was given to him was not just the understanding of the structure of parallel realities, but also how to travel from one to the other. And, you know, 
And that is that. That is how, that is why that's the reason that the Nordic cosmology has maintained that truth is because one of their leaders, in this particular case, Odin, went above and beyond to understand what was going on. That is really the only reason. And also he cared specifically about, about that, right? That aspect of reality. He was curious. And, you know, if you ask the right questions very often, you're given the right answers. That is also that. So this example right over here, the, the nine worlds of, of the Nordics, um, it is actually a very fair representation of our immediate universe and everything in it, right? So there is actually a way for you to travel up and down the Yggdrasil tree or that central axis to get into other worlds that are similar, but not exactly the same as we are. And so it is considered a cluster of parallel realities, right? Parallel realities are both very similar and very different. And now actually, let me take a step back because that's when we start reaching the constraints of the English language and the constraints of the matrix actually of planet Earth, right? Certain things that are very lofty become really, really hard to explain because technically speaking, from the perspective of source or the perspective of the great architect. Anything on that tree, whether it's you're going into plus infinity or minus infinity, meaning like whether you go infinitely high up that central axis or high down that central axis, all of these layers of the cake are going to be considered parallel realities. All of them, because they are parallel to one another. Remember back here, like, uh, I don't know, math class, I don't know like what, what grade you guys were in, all of you were in different grades, frankly, when you started parallel, you know, lines. And, you know, that is exactly why they're called parallel is because they are attached, uh, you know, or, or, or that's their relationship to one another, right? There, there are parallel lines that would never intersect. Neither do they, neither would you want them to intersect for that matter, because those are very separate worlds and they have their own set of settings. And those settings are fairly precise and not to be mixed with one another, not to be commingled with one another. That's why parallel, parallel universes would never intersect by design. You don't want them to. The architect doesn't want them to. However, they are arranged in clusters. And so the very human definition of parallel universes, when you guys would think of parallel universes, you would think about your immediate cluster. So the nine worlds in the Nordic mythology, you would think about that cluster only. And everything above and beyond is a little bit of a mystery and an, an enigma and almost like doesn't really matter in some ways, right? I do think it could be fascinating to understand how certain clusters form along the axis of that great tree. And why do the nine worlds, for instance, our current reality, why did they get magnetized together? So there is always something like each vertical, each of these, shall we say, worlds, each, each of these worlds is a unique system that goes through its own polarization. So usually it's based on polarity. Midgard, a middle, middle ground of this, of each cluster, is going to be the two polarities brought together. And then you have, you know, one polarity at the top and the other polarity at the bottom. So in order to give you, again, an example that hits home, your particular world is considered to be the world of light and darkness. So you have a polarity of light, upstairs, you have your polarity of darkness downstairs, and then Midgard or Middle Earth is when these two polarities come together into some semblance of equilibrium 
or a lack of thereof, right? Which is what you guys are going through right now. It's really, really hard to bring the two together and, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya and believe in oneness where you see just so much contrast. But one thing to note, and that's actually, uh, I just got some feedback from the collective that this didn't make quite, quite make sense. When you are in the middle world of the nine, right? So we're the fifth, essentially from the top or the bottom, doesn't really matter if you're in the middle and no matter how, 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 how you calculate it, it doesn't mean that in this polarity of light and darkness, you have transcended the polarity of light and darkness. That is not what this means. That just means that this world, in this particular case, our planet and everything that's in the same parallel world, parallel reality, has a chance to be able to equalize the two, has a destiny actually to bring them together into cohesion. Does it mean that it is gonna be easy? Absolutely not. It would come through a life of trials and tribulations and everything. So that is this current cluster. But what I want you to imagine, if you're trying to imagine this whole structure with me, right? Imagine the central axis upon which, you know, we are this like little layered cake right here in the middle, but there is like an infinite number of realities up this tree and an infinite number of realities down the street or worlds. Now, not every world is created equal. Every world would have their own flavor of polarity. Now, of course, it's not a unique flavor of polarity. There are many different realities where the polarity of light and darkness is being explored. There are other realities where the polarity of uh, truth is being explored, right? With like truth being one, one side of the spectrum and lies, you know, being the other side of the spectrum. You have um, realities that are heart-led versus intellect-led. And, you know, the heart and the mind are going to be the two polarities and you're going to move around them or through them, you know, and through these worlds and experience a different degree or a different shift towards love, sorry, to heart versus mind, right? That is um, a possible polarization example, but they're infinite, really. There's so many. I just wanted to give you a couple of examples to bring home. Also, another thing that's kind of important to understand is that not all of them are nine layers. It actually really depends. You have the one with 13 layers, you have 27 layers, you even have four layers. Um, and so when you have even numbers, that middle ground becomes quite interesting because when you have odd numbers, right, there's one that is truly like the midguard, the middle of everything that is supposed to collapse these two polarities. But you even have layered cakes with even number of layers, which means that that equilibrium is actually never to be achieved in that system. And that is very much by design. Cool. Did I blow your mind? <laughs> A little bit. I see the nods. I see, I see you guys nodding. Listen, I did not expect for this like a super simple episode. So the fact that you've made it this far, you, like that makes you a trooper and I appreciate you. I'm just saying. Okay. Now we're going to start moving into this concept that architect of the matrix was quite adamant that I talked about to you today, which is, and, and hopefully that's going to provide enough layers, but also mm, help you understand one of the pivotal one of the pivotal um, distinctions, one of the pivotal variables that went into creating the matrix in the first place. So there are two types of realities. There are collective realities. Yeah, collective realities, I guess. Or they are also called objective realities. And then there are individual realities. They're called subjective realities. So at any point in time, every matrix structure is going to maintain both. You have your objective reality. And that is essentially... 
a movie, right, that was pre-written and pre-scripted by a group of souls that works with the architects. So while the architects of the matrix determine the mathematical equations to run, how things grow, how they collapse, the life, the death, the everything, right, they just essentially have created a mathematically precise system to explain the physicality of things, you know, how the, but I shouldn't be saying the physicality, the physicality and essentially how things work, like the nuts and the bolts of the system. That is up to the architect. However, you also have your creative souls kind of like right here working with the architects of the matrix. And these creative souls are kind of like script writers and movie directors, if you will. So they're like the, oh my God, this is going to sound terrible, but they're like the Hollywood of the spirit world. Listen, you guys, I'm, I'm trying real hard to bring this home to you. So it's, it's makes sense. So I'm going to call this the Hollywood of the spirit world and try to get away with it. And I apologize for even saying that. So the Hollywood of the spirit world are very creative souls. And you have like a really good, you know, masculine, feminine dynamics going on here. And they're tasked with taking a virtual reality and populating it with stories and storylines. Because initially it's like a blank slate. It's like you have the skeleton of the body with this trunk in the middle, you know, or, or the spinal cord in the middle. And then you have no muscle, no tissue, no, no uh, skin, no nothing. And so it's up to these creative souls, the Hollywood, let's call it, to come up with stories that are interesting and compelling for souls to incarnate in. And they are essentially tasked with building the objective reality of each of these layers of the cake. The infinite amount it takes a lot of creativity. It takes also the understanding of how the matrix works, but they are extremely proliferate. That's the good news. And they have come up with essentially not an infinite, but an infinitely large number of storylines. So each of these layers of the cake is actually a storyline that goes from point A to point B that has been predetermined by these creative souls that work and commingle with the architects of the matrix. As a soul, you select an objective reality that you incarnate in. For instance, imagine if those objective realities were movies, right? You get to decide if you wanna play the Terminator or you wanna play Harry Potter, or what have you, because you are essentially, there's like a catalog to select from. Catalog of objective realities, right? With the plot, with the development of the world, you know, and so essentially there are multiple storylines. Those are called objective realities because whether you incarnate in them or you don't incarnate in them, they objectively exist. Multiple souls would gather around if, I don't know, a thousand souls incarnated into the world of Harry Potter, let's say, it would feel very similar to them because it is an objective reality with very objective parameters that are defining that reality. What would be those parameters? Like, does magic exist? Yes or no? You know, what are the species? These, that, and the other species, you know, et cetera. Like, all of these parameters need to be written up by the people that are, by, by this Hollywood crew, right? So it's, it's again, extremely, extremely deliberate, but also it's very tedious work because you have to think through everything. Like you think when Hollywood makes, uh, makes these movies you know, with the budgets like being really crazy and when they're like spending six months on like a particular outfit for a particular character, you know, like with, I don't know, like if it's a scale of armor, like they're all like facing a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. And then like this outfit, 
only is shown on screen for like a total of one and a half seconds, you know, uh, if you think that is tedious work, then you would be just flabbergasted to know the amount of work and the copious number of details and things to keep in mind and keep track of for creating, you know, fully immersive virtual worlds like ours for it to feel real. Because the moment, right, souls are not stupid, like none, none of us are, right? So when we come into a world and there's, it doesn't feel real, there's no continuity, or something doesn't feel right, we catch on to it like really, really quickly. And we're like, well, what is this? Like, I'm not a believer. And because they're meant to be fully immersive, they need to be planned in a way that wouldn't ring anybody's bells. And so there's like this whole planning process and it's quite tedious and it's a lot of work, but it's also fun for the right kind of souls, right? So you have all of these objective realities. As you move up and down the Yggdrasil tree, and I will call it the Yggdrasil tree, because why not? As long as we agree that the Yggdrasil tree is not just the nine worlds, it's like this overall axis. You have different layer, um, like levels as, as a player. So you select um, not only the movie, so to say, or the universe you would want to incarnate in, whether that is Jurassic Park or uh, Harry Potter, what have you, you select the complexity level as well. This is going to be extremely easy for you to understand if you think that there is, you know, in some uh, computer games, in some RPGs, um, in some other games, you have different levels. Like you have the beginner, you have the kind of intermediate, and then you have the hardcore, like advanced level. And then sometimes you have more levels than this three, right? Or even so, I mean, I think that that um, that is like a good way of explaining it. Another way of explaining it, you know, um, in, in these other RPG games, you have levels that you have to unlock. And so like level one is going to be easier than level 100, right? For level 100, you need to understand more about the game, have certain skills, have, you know, accumulated armor and, you know, weapons and whatnot, depending on the game. The structure of the of, of VR is not all that different. Essentially, you have layers for people, for beings, for souls, um, and they can choose beginner, intermediate, or advanced games to play. Uh, usually, usually, um, the same type of, let, let's say you are, as a soul, you want to learn and fully understand this dichotomy between light and darkness. You would first select the fact that that is the storyline that you would want to play. The second thing that you would select is the level. Like, I a beginner level soul, in terms of understanding that concept, not overall. You may be a fully advanced soul, but you have never dealt with the issue of like, I don't know, love, right? Or truth or something. And then if that's the case, you may want to start from the beginner level. Now, again, there's no rhyme, you know, there's no rhyme or reason for how souls select things. It's really purely um, what they're feeling in the moment. Some souls would go for advanced levels right away. Now, of course, if you've never played in a particular vertical and go for the advanced level, the chances and probability of failure is quite high. So very often, um, when you would disincarnate, you would have to. I, what, what, I, uh, what I see souls doing is they go from, you know, if they fail at a higher level, sometimes they go back and work through more beginner and intermediate stuff before they go back to advanced. So there are different layers of playing the game. What is determined? Like what determines the complexity? Very often, the worlds that are more advanced are harder to impact is what it is. They are kind of like, viscose, almost like the quicksands, like you make a wrong move, they suck you in type of situation. Whereas in, in more basic worlds, and like if you're just playing the, you know, the more beginner level, 
Um, the worlds and the ecosystems that you would incarnate in are usually very nice to you. <laughs> they're, they're not all that challenging. They're not going to push your buttons. They're not going to push your limits. And it's almost like helper worlds is how I would define them. They're a helper worlds. Whereas if you go to the advanced level, they're usually antagonistic worlds and it feels like everything in that world is out to get you. Just so you understand where planet Earth is. So planet Earth is somewhere in the middle, but it would actually be considered um, uh, an early advanced level. So it's intermediate going into the advanced. There's like a lot of layers in between. There's not just three. Three would be a very simplified way of thinking about it. What you guys are experiencing is an intermediate going into advanced difficulty level. Six and a half, seven out of 10. If, if I were to give like a digit in terms of difficulty level, which is quite difficult. It is quite difficult, not going to lie, right? And so a lot of you feel like you don't control your outside circumstances. You don't control your outside reality. It's not just because third dimensional worlds are hard. And by the way, third dimensional worlds are extremely hard and they're extremely dense and all of that. But part of it is also the difficulty level that you all are playing at right now is not the beginner level. The good news is if you've made it to the intermediate plus level, you most likely have dealt with easier worlds before, right? So that means that you've been around. Of course, there's also a possibility that you're, <laughs> you just decided to reach above your, um, you know, pay grade a little bit. That, that's also possible. Part of the reason why Earth feels a little bit amorphous and like it's really hard to impact the collective, it's really hard to make a dent in the world, it's really hard to, do, to make change, is because this is not the beginner level world. It's not meant to be uh, so. And so also your higher self selected this level of complexity for yourself. So enjoy. It's not my fault. Um, if, 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 if you find your life difficult, you can take it up with your higher self because it's courtesy of your higher self that you're, you're alive in, 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 in this way. And so essentially you pick the world, like the dichotomy, then you pick the complexity level. And then essentially the system, there is this great, great system. It's showing you exactly what are the options that are available to you of these objective realities or screenplays, if you will, or movies. And then you select. That's where we start getting into the multiverse concept. That's when we start getting into subjective realities. That's when we start getting into even more complexity, you guys. But maybe in some ways, not as complex. We'll see. We shall see. Once you descend into this particular world, having selected it, you're descending into a storyline. You're most likely not descending at the very start start of the storyline, not at the very end. The cards have been dealt. There is already a happening. You are already being submerged into a soup of happening that existed prior to you coming and is going to exist after you are gone. And that is when we start getting into this concept of free will. You will hear me often saying that we live in a free will universe. What I mean is that our cluster of nine parallel worlds, which encompass our larger worlds, our larger world um, located around the Yggdrasil tree, our vertical of light and darkness, is the world where um, free will runs supreme. And as such, as such, we are going to experience co-creation, right? So each of us, as we incarnate into this third dimensional reality, has a choice. Yes, there is a plan that our higher self has drawn up for us. Yes, we also, by the way, know which aspect of this movie we incarnated in. Like, did we incarnate during the battle times, during the good times, during the technological advancement times? Because there are like hard beats almost, right, of the happening 
of the storyline, right? Because every good movie, right, um, that you guys know, and every good book for that matter, every good story has heartbeats. These, you know, aspects of happening that define a chapter or they define, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of like, uh, you know, or if it's a series, they define an episode. Um, if you don't have these hard bits, if you don't have these happenings, it becomes terribly dull and boring. So your soul would also select at what point in time it wants to descend into that movie, which I don't know if that blows your mind or not, but right now souls are being incarnated during the times of the dinosaurs, as well as, you know, year 10,000, if you know what I mean, which we perceive as the future. But like right now, souls are able to go back, forward, front, in the past, the present, and the future. So when they say time is not real or time does not exist, or our time-space reality is fake, that's kind of what is meant. Because right now, quote unquote, these souls can go into any time, any aspect, any sector of, the, of this movie, right? You can incarnate in chapter one, you can incarnate in chapter 99. Doesn't really matter. It's whatever serves your higher good, right? And so you descend into a particular happening. Um, these objective realities, they are fairly pre-written. They are fairly pre-written. You know, not one being really could move, could, could, could swing the pendulum so much that objective reality is going to walk off the hinges, uh, walk off of its course. There is also some room that is left for improvisation in this world, right? So it's not as dogmatic as everybody has to act a certain way. There is some room for free will. That is why it is a free will-based universe. Now, whereas one person cannot necessarily change the greater whole, one person can impact their world, right? So that is where we get into objective versus subjective reality. So your subjective reality is the same as your personal cell of the matrix. Your own world that you create with the power of your free will, your energy, your intention, your desires, etc. within the greater whole. And that is where we get into the concept of the multiverse. So the multiverse is something that exists within one of these parallel realities, one of these slices of the cake. That is what the multiverse is. And what is it? That is essentially how your free will impacts the terrain as an, you know, an individual incarnated human, right? Yes, there is a movie of Harry Potter, let's say, that you came to play in, but then you descend into it, you are, you become a character in the movie, right? A character, by the way, who has an element of free will. Yes, you may be assigned a character, uh, but it's also like, okay, you, you can do what the, the character did, or you can do something else. And that creates this multiverse concept. Multiverse concept is, um, when the universe is keeping track of the different potentialities, what I mean by that is this, when you're faced with a choice where you're going to exercise your free will, there's often more than one option. And I'm talking not just simple mundane choices, like, okay, well, if I had two toothpaste options, you know, am I brushing with the minty one or the cherry one? That is not the kind of choice I'm talking about because there are probably thousands of choices every day that you make that don't impact reality one bit. Like if you walked into a Starbucks today and had a coffee versus a tea versus, I don't know, a muffin versus a croissant, nobody cares. I hate to say this. Um, and so you make a bunch of choices every day that like really don't impact your world. And then you make some other changes that really could send you off 
on another trajectory or a wild goose chase. And so very often when you're making those changes, choices, your soul, so to say, doesn't pick one potential, it picks all of the possible variants. In a third dimensional world, you're only able to hold one perspective at a time, meaning your ego, right, is a fixed identity, meaning you're not able to have a perception of all of these things happening in parallel. You're only focused on one timeline, one existence, and it's almost like you're only cognizant of having made one choice in the past. Do I marry this person or do I marry that person? Do I pick that major or this major, etc.? Do I move to this country or do I stay in my hometown? No, you're only cognizant of like, okay, well, this is the default choice that I made, you know, and th- this is what, you know, this is what uh, I'm going to experience. The universe keeps track and your higher self keeps track of all of these other choices, especially if they are sending you on a fu- or leading you to a fundamentally different outcome. And then, and then when you reach the point where you're ready to disincarnate when you die, essentially is what I mean. One one or a couple of these paths are preserved in your personal um, Akashic record field. Very often it's one, sometimes um, your higher self would deem it necessary to preserve more than one path because each of this is a learning, right? And as such, you know, if, if you experience a major learning, it's like having a bookmark in the book, you may want in the future, at a future point, you may want to come back and relive that experience, relearn that experience, etc. And that is why those are uploaded to the Akashic Records. So the multiverse, if you think about it, is almost like moving within one of these parallel uh, realities horizontally. So the multiverse is horizontal movement, whereas the parallel realities is a vertical movement. It's moving up and down the vertical, if that makes sense. I know it's kind of a lot, and you know, it, it requires you to imagine things. But the multiverse essentially is you descending into an objective reality, a movie that somebody else programmed and somebody else defined, and with your own free will, creating multiple versions of your life for the most part. And sometimes you would be able to impact, you would be able to impact a larger societal things. Although I'll tell you this, Have you guys heard, um, um, entrepreneurs often say this, really good idea, uh, not the right time. This could not be more spot on because in a pre-written movie, which this is, by the way, the reality of planet Earth, like the macro things, like the wars between countries, the pandemics, they've been around, actually. I hate to say this. I hate to say this. I know that, you know, you, you like to think that there is like this malevolent group of beings that accidentally created, you know, a war or accidentally planned the pandemic. No, you guys, it has been pre-written like a while ago, by the way. And, you know, doesn't really, it doesn't really, and and the fact that it feels so bad sometimes to realize that is because again, you exist in a polarized, you know, light darkness type of world. So your entire life is going to be around comprehending comprehending the good guys and the bad guys. Perceive, that's why I have an attachment of perceiving yourself as the good guy and some other people as the villains. And by the way, even the villains perceive themselves as the good guy, or, you know, because everybody's rationalizing, right? And again, why does this happen? Because you exist on the pendulum or on the swing of polarities, light and darkness. So it's like a pivotal theme. It is like the common refrain 
it is like the chorus of, of the song, right? So you inevitably go back to the polarity of light and darkness. That's why religion is so prevalent, you know, and other things. Going back to the concept of the multiverse, right? So it's um, essentially that horizontal movement. Now, one person usually does not impact the collective all that much. About 99.99% of lives are run-of-the-mill lives, which is not to say that they are not serving you or serving your higher self, because they will. They will. Everything is an experience. Everything is a learning uh, curve um, and a learning opportunity. However, most people don't ever get to impact the storyline of the movie to a large degree. Going back to my question about right idea at the wrong time, if according... Okay, maybe let me let me give you like a concrete example. The radio, when, when the radio was invented, it was that nobody could invent, like nobody was able to invent the radio. And then I think three people had similar ideas and, you know, all at the same time in different countries. And by the way, 77 other people were being led to the discovery of the radio all at the same time. And the reason that that happens is because it was time for this technology to be born on planet Earth because it was pre-written into the script. So if something is pre-written into the script that in this year or around this year, we need to introduce the radio. And then in this year, we need to introduce the TV. And then in this year, we need to introduce the internet. And in this year, we need to introduce spacecrafts or something along those lines. I think you're catching my drift. So these are the heartbeats. These are the heartbeats. Very often human society is based around discoveries or like during the times of the Renaissance, right? It wasn't necessarily, I mean, although science was really being developed at the time, but it, it started focusing a lot about art and, and going back to like perfect proportion and things like that, right? And alchemy also, that's all Renaissance. All of these were heartbeats, right? In, in, in a different point of human history. You cannot avoid the heartbeat if you tried because the heartbeat is, is like a magnet. It's as if, we, were, we all existed along the string of happen, happening. And then it had this like massive boulder located on top of the string that had so much magnitude to it that you couldn't pass by this boulder if you tried without noticing the boulder. And so the heartbeats are meant to keep everybody on track, right? And so if the great, the great Hollywood scriptwriters of the spirit world said that, on planet Earth, in year such and such, radio was supposed to be introduced. Then what happens, right? You usually have a few souls that come with a mission to introduce the radio. And by the way, how they know it is because their higher self thinks, okay, well, introducing the radio is a really, really curious challenge. It's mathematical, it's precise, it's science. Sounds like a great, you know, a really, really great challenge for me to take on. And so your higher self would time things up so that you descend into this reality exactly, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years before this big happening, right? And, you know, that is why your education, for instance, may not be random. Maybe you go to a school where, you know, the hard science um, is taught and maybe you develop an affinity for numbers and all of those things like really, really early on, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then, right, obviously we remember that there is free will, right? And that is a, that our whole multiverse. So imagine your lower self descends here and your lower self doesn't, doesn't, doesn't want to make the radio anymore or doesn't want to go on 
doesn't want to embark on a path that would eventually result in that discovery or whatever other scientific discovery doesn't really matter. And so it strays off the path and let's say your lower self becomes a musician and more power to it. But then what happens? The radio still needs to be birthed because the time has been set and this time has a lot of magnitude around it. It's like a large magnet attracting this outcome. So what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to have to bear the grunt of making it happen. So another soul is going to receive this aha moment in their higher centers, this intuitive hit to go do this, learn that, etc., etc., etc. Do you see what I mean? And that's why, that's why it's very often like a business needs to be birthed. Like the social media had to be birthed. There were many potential options outside of Mark Zuckerberg to be the founder of Facebook, if I'm being completely honest. He was not the first option, by the way. He was the third. Because usually you have like a, like a, it's not linear thinking, but you have your preferred choices and then you have, you know, you have as other choices because everybody has free will. In the world where ever, all the players have free will, then, you know, enough players can just walk off the road. Now, the system still needs social media to be birthed, right? Because it has been decided that it's a major heartbeat for the next 20 years. And somebody has to do that. Somebody has to be the pioneer. Granted, there was MySpace, but really it started with Facebook. To the degree that it is today, it started with Facebook, right? And so if it wasn't Mark Zuckerberg, it would have been somebody else. And I don't want to meet, I, 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 like, I hate to say this, people are kind of like replaceable a little bit, right? Because enough people could essentially execute on the same thing if guided the right way and if placed under similar circumstances. It doesn't mean that your higher self doesn't plan it a certain way, but that is how free will can essentially mess you up and, and, and send you on, you know, a wild goose chase of becoming a musician instead of, you know, creating the radio, what have you. And then there are some people that seize the moment and seize the opportunity. There is the, the, the saying of this is the right idea, just the wrong timing could not be more true because there's been so many inventions, so many societal movements that just could not gain critical mass or could not go broad before their time. And what does this mean, time? This is actually, you know, those heartbeats that are predetermined from up above. For example, like, let me give you another example. Uh, the French Revolution could not have happened outside of like a very particular five-year window. There was like a five-year window for it to happen. Why? A revolution is like a revolt. It's like a big societal movement. It's like a volcanic eruption. If you, and by the way, have there been revolutionaries in France before? You bet on it. There have been revolutionaries because people have free will, right? Somebody may descend into incarnation and be like, well, this is messed up. The monarchy is broken. Well, let's do something about it. And there have been people like that, obviously, in the history of France and other countries. But the revolution happened when the revolution happened. And so why is that the case? That is the case because it was predetermined that that was going to be a major heartbeat. It could not have happened outside of that window. Why? Because revolutions are not, and big societal shifts are not just created by one person, they're created by the collective. Because societal shifts, we're talking objective reality. Objective reality is a collective reality. It's not your personal slice of the matrix. It's not you personally becoming rich. It's not you personally even becoming famous. It's going to impact 
thousands and thousands of people, if not millions, right? Very often. That, that's the heartbeat. A heartbeat always impacts millions of people. And that it becomes, it bleeds into the objective reality from your subjective cell of the matrix. But the only reason that this could happen, the only way that this could happen, is when a lot of people are on the same frequency, desiring the same thing, and that critical mass enables you to walk into that new reality. That is why one person, no matter how they use and abuse their free will, no matter how, they're usually not able to have large objective societal impact unless they get the support of the system, the support of the society, the support of the people, and the support of the collective. And if it's not meant to happen, if it has not been pre-written as a major heartbeat, it shall never be. It shall never happen. It is just quite impossible. Very often when the seers, the oracles, especially the ones that are uh, very well known, uh, when they predict the future, they're predicting one of two futures. Very often, like the ones that you know, like the Nostradamus, for instance, they would look into objective reality, actually, right? So they're able to tap into the segment of the Akashic Records that draws out and spells out these heartbeats. And that is what they're usually able to see because the heartbeat is like a very large, extensive light or sphere of light that just has a lot of density to it. So the heartbeats are just very charged happening, so very charged events. And those are very visible in the Akashic Records for the one that knows where to look, right? And that is how these oracles... Um, are able to predict what's going to happen in the, in the future for societies at large. Because again, the script has been pre-written. The script already exists, you guys. hate to say this. The biggest heartbeats have already been written. Now, if we're talking about divination on the personal level, very often those are harder to predict. But uh, now I'll explain what I mean. Harder or easier, actually. This is, depends, right? Uh, some parts of it are harder, some parts of it are easier. Every person human, like you, your own human lives in your own, you all live in your own personal cell of the matrix. You all have free will. As such, you are living the multiverse. You're living, you're not cognizant of it, but there are many versions of your future that are possible. However, most people pick one trajectory and stay on that trajectory. So if you're using, you know, divination to look up, different divination, I don't know, practitioners or uh, tools to look far into your future. The more you evolve as a soul and as a human being, the less predictable your future becomes. Unless you step on a particular timeline and don't step away from it, then that's predictable, right? So essentially for those people that either don't go through massive amounts of changes or they have selected a particular path and they're sticking to that path, those futures are extremely predictable. For everybody else, it's really, really hard to tell the future because one, you know, you would be tapping into as a seer, you would be tapping into the multiverse. The multiverse is a web. It looks like a web, like the spider web with all of these, you know, possible scenarios that could, could transpire, right? And so when seers look into your future, they may definitely be seeing something, right? They're probably, they're probably not making it up. They're connecting to something, but it may not be the version of the future that your current being, your current ego would be privy to. They may be seeing another parallel version that your higher self sees, 
but your lower self is not going to be able to comprehend because that is, again, beyond our perception. By the way, do you know what the, the difference is between the number one difference between an incarnated human and God? <laughs> I feel like we're going deep now. Uh, and you're like, what the hell? How did we get here? I'll tell you what it is. It's the number of perceptions that you could hold at the same time. That is the biggest, the single biggest differentiator between a human being and source consciousness is the number of perceptions that one is able to hold at the same time. An incarnated human being can only hold one perception. The source consciousness can hold an infinitely large number of perceptions. In fact, it can hold every single perception of every single being, of every single consciousness, of ev like from the beginning of time, all at the same time. That is the, the only one difference, right? And because we have been reduced to one single perception, which by the way serves us, because we've been reduced to that one thing, we are not able to follow the multiverse that we ourselves create. Yes, we may be the spider, and I say this lovingly, nothing wrong with spiders, not spiders. We may be the spider weaving, weaving our own web of the multiverse, but we are completely unaware that we're doing that. Because again, why? Part of it has been pre-written by the architect of the matrix. The concept of the multiverse was created by the architect of the matrix. It works like clockwork. In the same way that the sun always rises in the east, or at least for right now it does, we know that the byproduct of us being incarnated, we are creating the multiverse. Are we aware of it? Absolutely not. If we were aware of that, we would have the hardest time maintaining our fixed identity, our ego. Because our choices in life really bring us to very different outcomes and these different outcomes can bring us to very different outward circumstances and realizations about those outward circumstances. And that's why you know, who we become at the end of those paths as, as people may be very different. One person can turn completely bitter and angry and the other person completely loving and giving. If you try to maintain both of these perspectives, you would not arguably be an incarnated human. Or at least, even if you could, right, as an incarnated human, look into all of these parallels, you wouldn't be able to do that and maintain that consciousness for a prolonged amount of time. Your higher self, that's a different story. Your higher self can uh, contain a lot more aspects and have a lot more different um, points of um, attention, if, if you want to call it that way, right? Like essentially what your higher self is able to do is watch like multiple movies all at the same time while keeping perfect track of all of these movies. Arguably, you can only watch one movie at the very same time while keeping great track of the details. And you would even struggle with two movies in parallel, like Imagine all these dialogues in parallel and you're like, oh my God, no, cannot do, right? Because again, we're singularly focused. And by the way, this serves us, right? This serves us. I guess what I want to leave you with before we get into Q&A, I will take some Q&As today. Questions, I mean. The good news is this platform, this virtual reality has been built to serve you guys. There is nothing inherently scary about it. There is nothing inherently abusive about it. It is not here to get you and to get your energy. That is not what the system is all about. And so let's recognize it for the genius, architectural genius, mathematical genius that it is and be grateful. And, you know, hopefully today we, we, we got a little bit of a glimpse into the complexity of this. And by the way, we just scratched the surface. Like there is... I don't even know. So I don't even know how to quantify the amount of complexity that we had to reduce here. I don't know. It's 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 like um, 
looking at every crystal ever created by Gaia and and, and saying that it, it fits onto just like one diamond on my finger. You know, that's how much reduction we had to do to get here. All righty, you guys. I'm ready for your questions. Ready for the questions for the collective, from the collective. Anything that has to do with the multiverse or parallel realities, anything that you guys were unclear about, as long as it starts the collective, I'm here to receive the question. The question is, do you ever do do-overs? Do you ever go back to the same point in time the same movie and redo it? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. There's definitely do-overs. I will tell you, Hitler did a couple of do-overs. <laughs> I know he's not very popular, but uh, I just thought it would be a funny example. Um, very often when you do a do-over though, most, it, it would not be run-of-the-mill incarnation. You don't usually do do-overs for the run-of-the-mill incarnation. Um, I did an episode previously about the different types of incarnations. Um, it kind of does reference that there are some do-overs. But yes, you, you're sometimes at soul level. When you go back, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, too much adversity. For instance, I've given myself so much adversity in the childhood, to so much trauma, that it's like one too many. One too many. And sometimes it's like this one thing that really puts you over the threshold of sanity, and maybe not sanity, but of being ineffective, uh, a lower self at your mission, right? And so your higher self would look at what happened. And obviously your higher self has a very sophisticated way of looking at things and just a lot more awareness in general around what went wrong and how much you could have handled uh, once, especially once your higher self studies what actually happened. And so your higher self may drop you into the same point, into the same family one more time, removing a particular event that it pre-planned. And, and sometimes you have to do multiple do-overs because you remove an event and you're still not getting the outcomes that you wanted. And by the outcomes, I mean, so again, the higher self receives the full web, the full spider web of the multiverse that you created as a part of incarnating here. And it would select certain strings, certain directions that it wants to preserve, but none of them may still have ended up at, you know, at the North Star. Let's say there is a North Star, right? Like it, it, they, they, it, you still may have fallen short of the original desire of your higher self. And so, yes, there's definitely do-overs. All right, uh, one more question. Whatever serves the collective around the concept of the multiverse or parallel realities. The question is, how do you travel up and down the Yggdrasil tree? And does it even make sense to do so? The answer is, uh, whether that makes sense or not, the answer is it depends. Um, I would say that there's, even our own slice of reality is fairly complex in the sense that you, there's probably enough for you to do here if your higher self chose to put you here. Also, the good news is your higher self can already travel up and down the Yggdrasil tree in an observer capacity, right? So your higher self very often now, of course, there are even at your higher self level, there are degrees of access. You may not be able to access 100% of the world, again, because that number is infinitely large, right? And our even our higher selves are at a certain level of development. Whereas if they're not up to some level of complexity, even witnessing certain things, 
that showcase that complexity may be detrimental to the higher selves, right? So your higher self can travel up and down the intracell tree quite easily in the sectors of reality where it has access. I would say that there is very little point in you trying to do so, and definitely not outside of the nine worlds. That would probably be too much. That would be too esoteric and too... I mean, essentially, won't even serve you all that much. Because again, I think that sometimes once we start getting into these lofty topics, the inherent desire for certain souls, especially the souls that have a harder time anchoring into this time-space reality or miss home, so a lot of your star seeds would fall into that category, you kind of don't want to be here. So you would use any excuse to not be here. Uh, you get, you're going to get excited about any concept that allows you this reprieve, this momentary escape. And I would tell you probably that if you want to travel beyond the nine worlds, unless you have a very specific reason for why, and there's probably like three people on the face of the entire planet Earth that have a compelling enough reason. And, and, and those are the ones that, um, and those are the, uh, the incarnations of the great architect, actually. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest with you guys. So for the rest of you, there's really no point for you to travel from this ego state, from this state of you know single perception to travel up and down the, the tree because it's not going to serve you. Like understanding in depth how the world of truth, like the vertical of truth and lies um, work in, in, in much detail doesn't, doesn't serve you in the, in the today. So check in with yourself and see if, if you're asking this question, if you're grounded enough in this reality. And if not, I recommend, highly, highly recommend doing some grounding um, exercises. I believe on our secret universe, I even did a grounding meditation for you. So you, you may, you may um, enjoy that. That being said, understanding our own reality, understanding the nine parallels could be interesting. How do you travel up and down some people can do that during the astral projection when your, um, you know, when your light um, aspect essentially uh, temporarily leaves your physical vessel, usually through the top of the head, through the um, Sahasrara chakra, the crown, and then is able to um, astrally project. So that is definitely one way that you can use. And then for those of you that are able to get into deep uh, meditative theta states, you would be able to do that as well. If you are, again, uh, if you're looking to explore, you know, the different realms of, of light and darkness, I will tell you this though. If you are, if you find yourself incarnated in Middle Earth, which you are, if you're listening to this, full disclaimer, most likely your higher self has planned incarnations for you in each of the nine worlds. Hate to say this. And maybe more than one. So that being said, some part of you is either going to or has already been to the nine worlds, right? And so you can even do that through past life regression. You can ask the universe to align you with the life that you have already lived in one of these worlds, right? That could be one. And if we're talking about a meditative practice, although, I mean, would I highly recommend it or not, you just climb up and down the tree in a meditation. Um, you connect with the central axis of the world, the Yggdrasil tree, just ask the universe to bring you to the Yggdrasil tree or the central axis. The universe is going to plop you straight up on that axis. This axis lights up like energetically. It is golden and it like is literally, it's like golden light. It's really super beautiful. And then essentially, if you want to get into the upper worlds, the upper world, you would climb up 
right? You could also imagine that there is an elevator traveling up and down the Yggdrasil tree. You may board the elevator and then ask the elevator to deposit you into one of those worlds and go exploring. And the same goes for the underworlds, right? You know, all of these like myths about the underworld, like Hades and the river Styx, you know, and you are, um, and the, or you have like Osiris and you have Anubis and like an Egyptian, in, in the uh, Egyptian mythology, or you have hell from the Nordics. You know, all of these are just, um, you know, the different parts of underworld. So from the perspective of Midgard, Middle Earth, the four worlds that are below, the worlds of the Nagas, the worlds of the serpents, they're all below there. And they would be considered an underworld. So, you know, when you guys are reading about the underworld in different mythologies, you may not, they may not even be talking about the same level of the underworld because four worlds are the underworld. Oh, really, they are the underworlds. <laughs> They're plural, not singular, is what it is. And that's why it's also kind of like funny. But yeah, you can definitely travel up and down the elevator, up and down the Yggdrasil, and it'll, it'll deposit you. Now, some of you may not have access. I cannot help you there. You know, um, you know, you may be a soul that is too impressionable or younger or, you know, mischievous. And you may have created like a Loki. You may have created some mayhem in certain worlds. And, you know, you may just be denied access. So don't, you know, be surprised if you travel, you know, up or down the Yggdrasil tree, the elevator doors open, and then you're like not able to pass through. Uh, that means that you don't have the access codes. You're not able to. You're not meant to be there is what it is. And that's totally fine. So go someplace else. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. Um, all right. I'm ready to receive one more question from the collective. Anything around this structure? The question is, does the architect perceive this structure to be complex? And of the different matrices, matrices, do they often revolve around the similar concept of like the multiverse and the parallel lives? Or is this kind of like unique? Okay, now we're getting into like a whole other can of soup over here. Does the architect perceive that this is complex? He does not. He actually, um, in, in some ways, the mathematical equations that describe this, this world are quite simplistic and, 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 and quite, um, they're quite straightforward, if I'm being honest, right? I mean, essentially, if you keep zooming out, a central axis with like multiple cakes located around it is not like such a complicated structure. It really isn't. I mean, of course, there are layers to it. And, you know, each of these uh, layers then has its own complexity. And that is where they're using the network effect. That is very different. It, it, it has also designed, he has also designed, there, 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 there exists, shall we say, a number of parameters for the architect and the architects to choose from. Uh, these parameters have been predefined by source. And usually the architect uh, is just like, it's kind of like drag and drop function. Uh, you know, whoever is the great architect um, would usually decide, okay, like I want to take this five parameters, skip this for the new version of the matrix, keep these other ones. And then it also decides, he also decides the ranges. So from what to what, you know, are we giving a range or a big range, small range, the in-between range. I guess where I'm going with this is from the perspective of the architect, this is not terribly complex. It's all kind of like a very, it's like Legos. He's playing Legos. Like he knows what his Legos are. He knows what color Legos he has. And he knows that his Legos are like square, circular, and triangular, so to say. And, you know, it is just a matter of arranging the Legos in the right way. Now, of course, of course, certain aspects of systems become complicated when you have to determine how much you're going to enable free will 
to impact the deterministic system, because in some ways these pre-written scripts are deterministic. And then you are bringing in this variable of free will, and those are usually where the complexities come from. These things are usually where the system is going to crash or freeze, is when somebody breaks the system. When there's somebody that comes, that incarnates with a free will that is either so magnanimous or so contrarian that they break the freaking system. And, and then they, you know, that's when they have to come up with, okay, like, what are we going to do every time that this, this kind of person comes, right? Or, you know, how are we going to limit the impact of free will in this case? And shall we limit, you know, all of those conversations are the complexities of maintaining the system. And those are challenges. Those are, you know, exciting challenges. They're also extremely difficult. That is what the architect finds the most difficult is how do you build a perfect system in a world where perfection is not, does not exist, right? Um, that is very much a challenge. And speaking to your uh, question about like how different or similar the different realities are, they're actually very different. No two VRs are uh, the same. Uh, for instance, this um, you know this um, next reality um, is not going to be built um, according to the tree model. They're actually using uh, a sphere as um, the building principle. And so essentially, if you look at this new reality, the VR5, it actually looks like a bowl, like a, sp a, a, a sphere, a, a spheric bowl. I guess every bowl is spheric. What am I talking about? It's a sphere of light, but then inside of it, there are other floating spheres, but they're also floating haphazardly. So they're not aligned around a particular center. And in fact, a lot of them are going to be aggregated and magnetized to the outskirts of, of, of this of virtual reality. So geometrically, every virtual reality is extremely different. And, you know, it's just um, the tree was selected for this one because the great mind that put that in, into existence, that brought that into existence was really inspired by the tree. Alrighty, you guys, I know this was so probably hard and complicated, Yes, I see you guys are nodding. But then enough of you have, you know, A, big kudos to you for making it this far. If you watch this on YouTube, feel free to ask me a question. Um, you know, I will try to get back to you, but it's not guaranteed. But at least I would know what else you're curious about and what was or wasn't clear about this. This is probably the hardest episode that I've ever had to do because, because of just the loftiness and the complexity of the subject. But again, it was requested and part of me is happy that it was. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for being on this wild ride with me. I'm sending you a big virtual hug and I'll see you in the next one.